Welcome to this week's Think Jewish and Chodesh Tov. Today is the second day of Rosh Chodesh, which means it's the first day of the month of Tammuz. The month of Tammuz on the third day, which is this Tuesday, is the 20th yard site of the Rebbe of Blessed and Saintly Memory. So this week, instead of talking about the Torah portion, Balak, I'm actually going to focus on the last mimer that the Rebbe ever edited and delivered. And when I say delivered, the Rebbe actually gave it out one by one. The people went by the Rebbe and the Rebbe gave them the printed mimer. So the Rebbe originally said this mimer in 1981. It was then prepared, re-edited with footnotes and the way it works is before before the Rebbe edits anything, it says on top that this is non-edited. Hanacha bilti muga. That word will stay there as the Rebbe goes back and forth, making corrections. They type it up. They bring it back to the Rebbe. The Rebbe will change something. The Rebbe will add something. And then when the Rebbe is done editing, the Rebbe just crosses out that line. And then it becomes a whole different type of mimer, which is called Hanacha muga. It's a muga diga mimer. The Rebbe actually checked it, and you can actually see the words as this is what the Rebbe is saying. Otherwise, generally speaking, you know, people try to transcribe to the best of their memory and the best of their capacity of understanding. So you don't, out of a regular mimer, you don't usually emphasize the Rebbe said this word and not that word because it was written by scribes who we don't know if they picked up the exact word. But if the Rebbe writes edited, so then we treat it as every single word is exactly what's supposed to be. Now, let me share with you about this mimer. When the previous Rebbe passed away in 1951, the previous Rebbe, for that Shabbat, of which he passed away, he gave the Rebbe to prepare in writing and edit the mimer that he wanted the people to learn for that week, for that Shabbat. Actually, the previous Rebbe gave the Rebbe four different Maimarim, and it was a series, and it's called Basi Legani. I came to my garden. Now, that Maimer, when the Rebbe refers to that Maimer, he calls it Hemshech HaHilula. This is the series of the yard site. Hilula is a very beautiful word used for a tzaddik's passing. It actually refers to a wedding. Um, hilula, Kebe Hilula. But either way, that's what we refer to it, the Hemshech HaHilula. Hasidim, therefore, use the same type of reverence towards the last mimer that the Rebbe gave us, edited and gave us. On top of that, the Rebbe, every single year, would build an entire mimer on the yard side of the previous Rebbe on a different chapter of the previous Rebbe's mimer. The previous Rebbe's Mimer was made up of 20 chapters. For 20 years, every single year, 1951, the Rebbe built his whole Mimer on chapter number one of the previous Rebbe's Hemshech Hayilula, series of the Ilula. And that kept on going. And then when in 1970, the Rebbe finished all 20 chapters, the next year, 1971, the Rebbe started right over again. So we see that the Rebbe really treats that last series of discourses from the previous Rebbe as, so to speak, a will. Many that after the previous Rebbe passed away, the Rebbe actually said, now I understand certain things that were in the Mimer that I didn't understand why they were there. 
So the Rebbe has actually taught us to look at the last mimer as the Rebbe's will that he's leaving for Hasidim. On top of that, in 1951, when they turned to the Rebbe and they asked, we're about to be experiencing the first commemorating, the first Yardzeit, the first Askara of the previous Rebbe, what are the customs we should do? And one of the things the Rebbe told them is that after the services, they should recite that mimer publicly. We do the same thing to this mimer that the Rebbe handed out, the last mimer. So I just, I'm just sharing this information with you because I want you to see that this mimer that we're talking about today is seen by Hasidim the way the Rebbe saw the Basile Gani mimer, that last series that the previous Rebbe left. So we look in this mimer every year for the third of Talmud, the yard set of the Rebbe. We're learning it, we recite it by heart, we're learning it on a deeper level, trying to find that personal will, that personal guidance that the Rebbe is giving us. I want to share with you some other interesting things about this mimer. And this is all a prelude to the class, so I'm going to be quick with it, okay? The Rebbe had the first stroke on the 27th day of Adar, in first Adar, was a leap year, in 1992. So that means that the last mimer the Rebbe edited was the last holiday before the stroke, which was Purim Katan. On a leap year, you have the big Purim with the whole festivity in the second Adar. But in the first Adar, there's also what we call Purim Katan. And there's laws, the closing laws of the first uh, book, of the four books of the Code of Jewish Law, is about Purim Katan. So therefore, we're going to be talking now about concepts of Mordechai. You're going to be asking me, why are we talking about Mordechai? <laughs> it's not uh, Purim time. Understand why. But here is something very interesting. The week, the parasha, that it came out then, and that's why the Rebbe started the mimer with the verse of the parasha, was parasha titzaveh. Let me share with you something very peculiar about the Torah portion of titzaveh. From the beginning of the book of Exodus, when Moses was born, there isn't a single Torah portion for the next four books of Moses that does not have Moses' name in it besides this Torah portion. In the portion Ata Titzaveh, it's the only portion that Moses' name is not mentioned at all. Now the question is why? And the answer is because when Moses fought for the Jewish people that God should forgive them, and God should not annihilate them because of the sin of the golden calf, it came to such a point where Moses told God, and if you will not forgive them, please erase me from your book. So the Talmud tells us that when a tzaddik says something, words pass his lips, even if it's on a condition, it's going to manifest itself in some way. So even though God did forgive the Jewish people, and he said, kidvarecha, I forgive them as you have spoken to me to do, nevertheless, because those words were uttered by the Holy Moses, erase me please from your book. Therefore, there is a Torah portion which should have Moses' name, which doesn't have Moses' name. But now this leads us to the next question. Why this Torah portion to Tzavah? God could have picked any Torah portion to manifest the holy words of Moses, erase me from your book. The answer is because the Torah portion Tetzava comes out always in proximity to the seventh day of Adar. 
The seventh day of Adar is the yard site of Moshe Rabbeinu. It gets even more interesting. The Rebbe builds a mimer on a mimer of a predecessor. That's the way the Rebbe's work. The mimer that the Rebbe builds this mimer on is actually the mimer of the previous Rebbe, which he delivered in Moscow 1927, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment, what was going on then. But the previous Rebbe did not name the, Torah, the mimer Va'ata Tetzaveh. He actually named it after the verse in the Megillah, V'kibel HaYehudim. So the Rebbe changes, in his mimer, he changes, even though the previous Rebbe also talks about Tetzaveh, the Rebbe changes the name of the mimer, the opening verse of the mimer, and he focuses on Torah portion Tetzaveh, which doesn't have Moses' name, which is connected to the passing of Moses. Very interesting. And this becomes the mimer hahilula of the Rebbe. Very interesting. Another interesting fact. The Rebbe builds his mimer on the mimer of the previous Rebbe, which the previous Rebbe delivered in Moscow on Purim in 19, I'm sorry, in 1927. Now, what was going on then? Important to know what was going on. By that Fabrengen, it was, it's a famous Fabrengen. By that Fabrengen in the Shul of Marina Russia in Moscow, the previous Rebbe said, I know that they are here. I know that they are listening to what I'm saying. What happened was that the KGB had secret police and spies over there documenting what the previous Rebbe was saying because they already had decided that they're going to arrest the previous Rebbe. Very shortly after that, the previous Rebbe on the 15th day of Sivan is arrested and actually has to face quotes that he said in that Fabrengen. Now, why did they arrest the previous Rebbe? Because the previous Rebbe was single-handedly in charge of the entire underground Jewish organizations. One of the biggest things that Stalin regime was fighting was that no one should be able to go to any private religious school, but to have to go to what they called skola, shkola, public school. The previous Rebbe sent private teachers that were sent to Siberia because they were teaching in private underground schools. By that Fabrengen, the previous Rebbe said, I know that they're here, and I know that they're listening, and yet I'm going to say what must be said. And he went on to demand of his Chassidim, Chas v'shalom, God forbid, to send your child to any type of education other than a Torah education. Now what happens in this mimer? So first you have to know the history. Previous Rebbe is arrested and sentenced with a death penalty. Here's interesting facts. On the third day of Tammuz, they took off the death sentence and they put on an exile sentence. That means on the very day which would become the yard site of our Rebbe, the previous Rebbe was saved. They took off the death penalty and put on the, ex the exile penalty. Ten days later on the 12th of, of, of Tammuz, they completely reversed the sentence, the previous Rebbe was allowed to go back to his family, his Hasidim, but he had to leave Poland. So now from this point of view, let's look at what this mimer really is doing. This mimer serves as the mimer which the previous Rebbe is telling his Hasidim that there's dark times ahead 
and we're going to have to live with a physical long distance connection, communication. He left Russia and he went to Poland. And from Poland, he kept on imbuing them with faith and with perseverance to be able to keep Judaism alive. 70 years, Jews were not allowed to know a single word about Torah. This is the mimer that the Rebbe chooses to give us. And this is the last mimer the Rebbe gives us before we now have to face, for the last 20 years, a physical, long-distance communication. And through this mimer, which we'll soon see, the Rebbe is doing exactly what the previous Rebbe did in his generation. He's telling us that we need to persevere, we need to have self-sacrifice, and keep the mission alive until its culmination. Bring Mashiach now. Very interesting, because when we first got the mimer, we were looking at foresight. We didn't understand any of this. What does the previous Rebbe say in his mimer? He talks about how Mordechai is greater than Moses in the way he fed his people with emunah. Why? Because Moses had to feed the Jewish people with emunah in a time when there was manna, when there was clouds of glory, miraculously water coming from a rock. They saw the ten plagues. They crossed through the river. So that's what Moses had to teach the Jews. Stop quetching and have faith. What did Mordechai have to do? Mordechai had to teach the Jews to give them faith at what time? He had to teach and give them faith in the darkest time of the history of the Jewish people. In Deuteronomy, clearly the Torah tells us in the, when the God's rebuking us, and I will scatter you amongst the nations. Comes along Rashi, Rav Shlomo Yitzchaki, the most classic commentator of the 11th century that lived in France, and he says, amongst the rebuke, God tells us kindness. Why? Because the fact that the Jewish people are scattered amongst many nations is the only reason physically why we weren't annihilated. If you look at the history of the Jewish people, never was all the Jewish people under the threat of annihilation. You have the Holocaust with the Ashkenazic Jews, you have the Spanish Inquisition with the Sephardic Jews, but you never have all the Jewish people at the same moment under the same persecution. What is the opening verse of the Megillah? And Ahasuerus was a king over 127 providences. And what does that tell us? That was the entire civilized world. That means that Haman's decree was on every single Jew. That means this was the only time in history that Jewish people faced total annihilation. It's the only book of the 24 books of the Torah that doesn't have God's name. The hint for the entire story of Queen Esther in the Torah, when the Gemara asked, Talmud asked, Esther in the Torah, where do we see any hints in the blueprints of the world in the Torah for Esther? What do we find? Hastir astir. On that day, I will hide, will I hide my face? Double concealment. So the, the previous Rebbe explains how the entire Mimer is talking about how this amazing point of the Mordechai, who was the Moses of his generation, is feeding his people with faith. That's what the previous Rebbe is doing in 1927, before the darkest moment of Russian Jewry, 
the previous Rebbe, the sole foundation of keeping, persevering Judaism is going to leave, going to be arrested, go through all those stages and then have to leave. And that's the mimer, the last mimer the Rebbe gives us before the Rebbe has a stroke and two years later we're dealing with a very long distance physical communication. You follow what's happening here? I didn't tell you a word of what the Rebbe said yet. But this is just mind-boggling when you think about hindsight. There's a reason why Hasidim treat this mime with such reverence. Let me share with you something else that's mind-boggling. Something that's unprecedented. The Rebbe delivered the mime in 1981. The Rebbe edited and published the mime in 1992. Do you know one of the paragraphs in the mime what it says? It's unprecedented. I've never come across the Rebbe doing such a thing, you know, and printing it. The Rebbe says like this. The previous Rebbe in the Mimer says that Mordechai was an absolute leader. Not over a partial of the Jewish people, but an absolute leader. Then the Rebbe, that's what the previous Rebbe says, and the Rebbe quotes him. Then the Rebbe goes on to say that in the heavenly court, judgment is done in a very specific way. First, they bring to your knowledge an accounting of what someone else did, which really is exactly what you did. Heaven waits to hear how you're going to judge the other person, and that's the judgment they place upon you. That is why when it comes to the heavenly court, the wording that we use is backwards. We don't say, let's make an accounting and give a judgment. It actually is said, din v'cheshbon. Because first we let you give a judgment on someone else, and then, oh, really? Now let's look into your books. So the Rebbe says there that when the previous Rebbe passed judgment on Mordechai, that he was an absolute leader, he actually passed judgment on himself. Now I ask you, my dear friends, how do you think the Rebbe's Hasidim are going to look at the Rebbe in a mimer passing judgment on the previous Rebbe? What are we going to do with that? Are we not going to bring it to our Rebbe? Unprecedented. This is a very special mimer. And we need to look at it not as a teaching, but as a mimer hilula. I refer to this mimer as the Rebbe's will. And now let's talk about what's going on. Okay. Let's talk about what, what is the Rebbe's will. What is the Rebbe leaving us as a guidance through these dark times until we shall meet once again physically down here? This entire Maima is built upon three concepts. Faith, love, and Mashiach. That is what the Rebbe is telling us is our job. And we're soon going to see what the Rebbe does with this. This is what we're living through these 20 years with is an empowerment from the Rebbe and we'll soon see what this special teaching about these three topics is. But what we're hearing is that you're going to need faith, you're going to need to love each other as one people, and you're going to need to really, really want Mashiach. Want him enough that you're going to bring him. And now let's talk about this. So the Maimah begins with a very interesting concept. 
It starts talking to us about Raya Mehemna. What is Raya Mehemna? Raya Mehemna is Aramaic words, and it's the nick. It's the title. I don't want to say his nickname, but it's the title that Moses has in the teachings of Kabbalah. Raya Mehemna means in Aramaic faithful shepherd. Normally, when I say faithful shepherd, the word faithful is an adjective to Moses. Did he do a good job? Was he cutting corners? The answer is no. Raya Mehemna. He was a faithful shepherd. 100%, 100% of the time to 100% of the people. Absolutely faithful. Comes along Hasidus and says, deeper yet, read that title differently. Raya Mehemna, he was a shepherd who pastured and shepherded his flock with faith. That means that his job was to feed his flock faith. So it's not an adjective on what kind of job Moses did. It's actually a description of what his job was. What is the job of Moshe Rabbeinu? To feed us emunah. Why do you have to feed Jewish people emunah? Very simple why you have to feed Jewish people emunah. Even though the Talmud tells a whole story that happened on Passover and there was a whole ruling that the Jews are believers, the sons of believers, ma'minim, b'nei ma'minim, they naturally, genetically have faith. However, the issue with faith is that it's an infinite, circular, encompassing faculty. Which means that you can have faith that is abstract. You can totally declare, I believe in God. And yet, with that faith, you can end up not having a relationship with God in which the faith is practical and tangible. It's just very simple. I believe in God. Really? When's the last time you came to shul to talk to God? I believe in God. Where were you in Kippur? I believe in God. Did you eat matzah on Passover? What are you asking me details? I'm telling you, I believe in God. So the issue of emunah is that it's so powerful, it's so circular, it's so infinite, it's so encompassing that it could remain abstract. Therefore, we're told, Raya Mehemna, Moses' job is to take this intrinsic genetic faith that's abstract and feed it to the people, digest it, internalize it, become one with it. Don't keep it abstract. Make it into a tangible, real, daily relationship with God. Now the question is, how do you do that? How do you feed faith to a Jew? And I will tell you, this is not a Kabbalistic question. For me, it's a very practical question that defines my job. I cannot tell you how many times I've been told by Jewish people, Rabbi, I wish I had your faith. And I never knew which store to send them shopping for this faith. Where do you get faith? What did Moshe Rabbeinu do? How did he feed faith? For many people, you'd say, either you have it or you don't. <laughs> what are you going to start? So the answer is that there are two faith-feeding processes. That's what the Mimer says. Well, let me tell you what these two faith-feeding processes is. What, thank you. One is seeing is believing. That's the first faith pro process I want to talk to you about. Seeing is believing. What does that mean? 
What that means is, have you ever heard the expression, I hear what you say? I know we just use everything loosely. I hear what you say. I see what you're saying. But these have deeper meanings. I hear what you say. What happens is that we intellectually understand something. So if someone came to Moses and said, listen, Moses, I, you know, I, I know I'm Jewish. I know I, I, I got to believe in God, but I got a whole bunch of questions for you. The scientific age of the world, the Torah age of the world, and then the, what goes around what? Does everything go around the solar planet, around the earth, or does it go around the sun? And we go on and on with evolution and a whole bunch of questions. And Moses sits down and he explains to you all the answers. Did he just give you faith or he, did he just give you intellectual reasoning? So what happens is that this concept of understanding this concept of even the birth of wisdom is all part of the finite faculty of intellect. But then there is this concept of seeing is believing. In the world of Kabbalah, we say that through seeing, his amsus, from the word emet, it becomes so deeply true that your soul has seen divinity that now it lies within you in an untouchable way. It will not evolve, it will not weaken by questions, it will not be strengthened by answers, because now we're talking about seeing is believing. The job of Moses wasn't to give a sermon on faith. The job of Moses was to have the Jewish people see divinity. His job was to show the Jewish people God's hand in the glove of nature. Now let's look at some interesting things that happen. According to Kabbalah, what is the splitting of the sea? The splitting of the sea is where the wet, finite laws of nature split and the Jewish people work on the infinite dry bedrock of divinity. They actually saw that everything we're looking at is only the outer shell, the glove, the laws of nature. But within everything, God is everything and God is one. That's according to the teachings in Kabbalah and Hasidus, what the splitting of the sea was. Let's talk about something else. What's that interesting verse that we find by the giving of the Ten Commandments? V'ra'u et kolot. And they saw the sound. That's impossible. You can't see sound. You hear sound. So we're finding a language by Moses, which is all about his letting the Jewish people see divinity. And once you see divinity, you actually look at the physical world and you can see right through the physical shell and actually look at divinity. To be able to see the hand of God in everything that's going on in your life. To be able to see that God is everything and everything is God. Not understand, but see it. That level of seeing is what we say seeing is believing. And that's what the first level of Raya Mehemna is. I'm going to feed you faith by taking you beyond the paradigm of intellect. I'm going to let you see. And when you see, it will then be planted within the depths of your being. 
that God is one. Parenthetically speaking, it's interesting, you know, I can prepare my notes from today to tomorrow, but when I look at your eyes, thoughts come to me, so I need to thank you. Maimonides has a very interesting explanation on that whole interesting story of Moses telling God, show me your glory. And God tells him that I cannot show you my face and you should live, but I will show you my back. Hashem has a face. Hashem has a back. <laughs> What's going on here? ABCs of Judaism. No form, no figure. Maimonides explains this whole thing that Moses was not asking to see God. Moses was asking to plant within the Jewish people that level of faith in God's existence as that of seeing his face. Seeing is believing. And Rambam then explains that God's answer was no. Not until Mashiach comes. That's when all velons, all curtains are lifted. Right now you'll only see my back. You'll see, but you won't see. You'll see, but you won't see. Because now is the time of our work, freedom of choice. So once again, the first level of faith is all about seeing, not understanding. If you go to a rabbi and you say, I have problems with faith because I have questions and I need you to answer my questions, you haven't come to faith yet. Faith is about seeing it. But the problem is that a faith that's built on seeing means that my faith exists within me because of what I saw outside of me. So, in Kabbalah language, that means it's an imposition upon me. I have not become faith. I am not faith. Rather, because I saw something, what I saw so affected me that it imposed upon me a faith. So it's a faith because of what I saw, not a faith because of what I am. Now let's go to the second phase, faith. The second process of faith feeding is know thyself. That's the second process. What does that mean? What that means is that Moshe Rabbeinu is not showing you God. He's showing you who you are. And once you see who you are, you automatically Believe in God. Why? Because what is the essence of the soul? A piece of God. So once you see who you are, then you have faith in God, not because of what you see, not because of what you understand, not because of what you learned, but because of what you are. The essence of God obviously has faith in God. So I went yesterday to explain a very interesting formula in Kabbalah for what an atheist is. The formula in Kabbalah for an atheist is a piece of God telling God that God doesn't exist. Now, when you have such a person, are you going to sit and explain to him that God exists? Or the easier route is, tell him who he is. Once he acknowledges and sees that his essence is a piece of God, how is he not going to believe in God? What is the outcome of that type of language? The outcome of that type of language is that the Jew's faith in God is not because of what he knows, but because of what he is. That means the essence of a Jew is faith in God. And if we can just polish, clean the mirror, 
and show him or her who he or she is. Now we're talking about ultimate faith. That means that this faith is not imposed upon, it rather is the revelation of your essence. And voila, we have a Muna. The difference is that on the latter level of Emunah, because that is your essence, your essence is the essence of all your details. So every piece of you is Emunah. It now, this Emunah that we're talking about, which comes from the essence of who you are, the essence of who you are in shul when you're learning is the essence of who you are on Monday in the office when you're doing business and is the essence of who you are when you're Sunday on the golf course. There's no evolution here. There's no evolvement. It is. Every drop of you is. The same essence of who you are when you're praying from the heart with an A. Praying with an A from the heart for your family's well-being is the same essence of who you are when you are praying with an E to make another dollar to provide your family. Because your essence is your essence. It's the essence of every single detail of your being. Do you see the difference? If I'm imposing upon you an essence, it's not you. It's coming from the outside in. But if I'm telling you who you are, Moses is revealing to us the essence of our soul. He's bringing out within us to see that we are a piece of the essence of God. Then that already dominates every detail of us. The difference between two faiths. Let's now go to love. The job of Moses, as is taught to us in this mimer, is not just to connect us with God. How do we connect with God? Through faith. The job of Moshe Rabbeinu is also to connect us to each other as one people. Being that the Jewish people is one body, the job of Moshe Rabbeinu, the center, the nerve center, the head, the brain of the entire body, is to make sure that everything is one. How does these two feeding processes of the faithful shepherd affect the way we love each other? I'll share with you how. The first faith we said is what? Is an external imposition upon you, right? The second level we said is because you realize the essence of you is the essence of every single drop of you. Now let's talk about two loves. What is the practical thing when you want to get along with someone? The practical rule of peace is Let's not talk about the things that we disagree. Baruch Hashem, there are so many things that we do agree. Let's only talk about the things we agree. And this way we'll get along. There's so much we have in common, so many similarities we have. Why should we talk about our differences? That means that the entire love I have for you is all based on a harmonization of all of us. We're not talking about our differences. Eh, 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 don't discuss that. I disagree with that. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about the parasha. Oh, we disagree with that. Talk about the next thing. Only focus on what we get along with. And by the way, that is a healthy thing to start. For starters, that's how you build peace. It's very difficult to start getting along when everything you're talking about is only where you disagree. Now let's go to the second faith. The essence is the essence of every single detail. My essence is not just the essence of my similarities. 
It's the essence of my paradoxical parts. It's the essence of my complexity. So when we look at the essence, the essence of a paradox is the essence of both parts of the paradox, which means that ultimately speaking, the paradox are truly one because in the truest essence of who they are, they're the same essence. That means when you get two Jews who so disagree about everything, and the reason they disagree about everything is because they're Jewish. That means that they're fighting for their opinions because of the essence of their soul. The essence of every soul is one and the same. That means when I love you, not because of what we share in common, but I love you because the essence of everything that I am, every detail of what I am, every complexity of what I am, is the exact same essence of everything that you are, every complexity of what you are. So differences don't get in the way. Because ultimately speaking, all our differences are really one and the same. Because at the essence level, everything is one essence. So when we get along then, beyond all our differences, we get along. We don't need to avoid our differences because the essence of what you always saying yes and the essence of I always saying no is one and the same essence, the essence of our soul. So when you love from the inside out, you don't have to worry about differences. When you love from the outside in, stay away from differences. So that means that when Moshe Rabbeinu feeds us faith by revealing the essence of who we are, He's bringing us to the most beautiful level of love where we so adamantly disagree with each other and we can love each other. Let me just tell you practically speaking again. Not in my notes, but let me just share with you practically speaking what this means. Hillel and Shammai argued. Now let me tell you one of the arguments they have. One of the arguments they have is about a certain type of get, divorce, if it's kosher or not. Now, I want to play this out for you. So Hillel's the lenient one. He says that this get is also a kosher get. The other one says, Shammai says, no, this divorce is not a legitimate divorce. Now, what did they do in Hillel town? They followed their Rebbe. Who's their Rebbe? Hillel. So they're going to do such a divorce. They're going to separate. She's going to get remarried, and she's going to have kids. And that's beautiful. Mazel tov. According to Shammai, this divorce wasn't a divorce. So she was really a married lady. And as a married lady, she went and she married another man. And she had a child from that other man. Do you know what that's called halachically? A mamzer. A bastard. An illegitimate child. So according to this argument, Shammai should have put a ban on any of his students ever marrying any student from Hillel. Because as far as he's concerned, some of Hillel's students are bastards. They're illegitimate mamzerim. Tells us the Talmud that Hillel and Shammai, they made sure that their students intermarried with each other. Why? Because the essence of why Hillel said that this is what the Torah is telling us, and the essence of Shammai saying this is what the Torah is telling us, is the same essence, a servant of God, a peace of God. So beyond the arguments, they respected each other. So if someone came to Shammai and told him, I did Hillel's get, and he was Shammai's student, Shammai would say, do it again. But if Hillel's students said, by the way, you know your favorite student, he's about to marry my daughter, I just want you to know that my wife had the type of get that Hillel, you know what he would have said? Mazel tov, when's the wedding? Because the essence 
is the essence of the paradox, which means both, both opinions, which are opposites, are really one and the same. That's the type of love the Rebbe talks about in this mimer. The love that's going to come from your essence, from inside out. When you realize that your essence dominates every detail of you, and your essence is the exact same essence of your friend who has certain things that gets you so on your nerves. But you realize now, essence, 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 it's all one essence, Mazel tov. So the differences don't have to be annoying, they're cute. Now let's talk about Mashiach. The Rebbe's entire life dedication is bringing Mashiach. The Rebbe started his first discourse in 1951, the first Maimur with which he accepted upon himself to be a Rebbe. He went straight for the ultimate challenge. We are the seventh generation. Moses was the seventh generation of Abraham and he built the Mishkan. We're the seventh generation of the Alter Rebbe and we're going to build the Bet HaMikdash. We're bringing Mashiach now. So obviously, in this mimer, which we look at as the Rebbe's will, we're going to hear about Mashiach. What is it telling us? Let's go back to the concept. The Mashiach, the yearning for Mashiach, that comes from external crushing of exile, is an imposition. It's not from the inside out. I'll tell you a story. There was a young man from yeshiva, and his father-in-law gave him a huge dowry in order that he should be able to continue studying without having any financial worries. You sit and learn. I gave you money. Off that money, you'll make money. You'll pay your bills. You learn. Then the father-in-law told him, listen, young man, you know nothing about money and investments. I have my money by Mr. Goldstein. Mr. Goldstein is a brilliant money manager. He's bringing me back beautiful returns on the money. It, I suggest that you, like I, put your money there. You'll get beautiful returns. No, <laughs> this guy doesn't know from anything. He wants to go back to learn. This conversation's getting in his way. He says, yeah, 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 no problem. Go ahead, just do it. And it's working beautiful. A couple of years down the line, he tells his father-in-law, take all my money away from Mr. Goldstein. Father-in-law says, what? You've been making beautiful returns on your money. You must leave your money by Mr. Goldstein. The son-in-law says, it's my money, right? I am telling you that you need to immediately take all my money away from Mr. Goldstein. The father-in-law is like, okay, whatever. I'm, you know, with a very heavy heart, you know, his daughter's involved here. So with a very heavy heart, okay, I'm taking the money away from Mr. Goldstein. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to live, but I'm taking away the money from Mr. Goldstein. Not five months go by and the news spreads like wildfire. Mr. Goldstein announced that he filed for bankruptcy. The father-in-law <laughs> goes over to his son-in-law and says, listen, Wojcik, besides Gemara, Mishneh, Chumash, Kabbalah, Tanya, you know nothing about money. How did you foresee what the greatest money minds in this shtetl did not see? The son was as simple. The day that Mr. Goldstein came to shul and started saying, Oi, do we need Mashiach? Oi, Mashiach has to come. I knew my money's in danger. That means that where is Mashiach coming from? 
is coming from the external crushing of exile. And when things are good, we still sing, but not so loud. <laughs> it's without the oi. It's okay now, God. Yeah, bring Mashiach, but not emergency. Thank God, mortgage is covered, everything's good, have a business, my kids are healthy, but beautiful. That means that that type of emunah, that type of achakelo, yearning, waiting for Mashiach, when is he coming already? It's coming from external imposition, and therefore it's not the ultimate yearning for Mashiach. Let's talk about a different type of yearning for Mashiach. Let's talk about the type of yearning for Mashiach that says, it doesn't make a difference if everything is beautiful in North Miami for me. I want to go home. I want to be sitting on my father's, capital F, father's table. I want to see my father in his full glory. Bring Mashiach now. You understand where that comes from? That comes from the essence. Why do I want Mashiach? Because that's who I am. I am God's son. I need to be with him in our house, in Israel, with the Bet Amigdash, sitting by his table, with him being the most glorious God, not hidden and being kicked out of courtrooms, kicked out of schools, and everywhere else. Makes no difference what I'm going through. Beautiful. I just won the lottery. Not a worry in my head. But I'm not home. That emunah and that achakeloh, that awaiting for Mashiach comes from the essence of who I am. Makes no difference what exile is doing to me. It's being nice to me, it's not being nice to me. We're in a land of persecution or a land of, of acceptance. It makes no difference because my essence is not home. We need to go home. So what the Rebbe is telling us in this mimer is that faith, love, and yearning for Mashiach needs to come not from someone showing us the greatness, but rather from us seeing who we are on that most essence level. And from there we have to cry out with all our details, with everything. Faith in Hashem, love for a fellow Jew, and Mashiach now because we need to go home. It can be the greatest thing here. You can have the fanciest hotel room. And you can have in your house a little bed. Eventually, it was very beautiful. I loved the hotel. We need to go home. In closing. This all happens by the Rebbe doing a very, very simple job, so to speak. And that is just cleaning our mirror. That's really what the Rebbe is doing here. The Rebbe is not showing us miracles, showing us the splitting of the sea, showing us the Ten Commandments, showing us... That's one level. But the deepest level of the Rebbe is by the Rebbe just letting us see who we are. Our mirrors get dirty. We start seeing ourselves in very strange ways by the cars we drive, the house we live in, the clothes we wear, the amount of money we have in the bank account. Do the people around us accept us, love us, or do they mock us and scoff us? So the Rebbe is cleaning the windows, cleaning the mirror. Kindalach, you forgot who you are. Let me show you who you are. One thing is certain. What is certain is that the Rebbe has done his job. Our mirrors today are crystal clear, sparkling clean, 
Jews like never before are proud of the menorahs out on City Hall. Jews like never before are proud to see Jewish articles being in the, in the New York Times. Jewish people have become comfortable with who they are because they're starting to see who they are. The Rebbe has done his job. However, there's one thing left. We need to stop having our eyes downcast. We need to have faith and trust and lift our eyes to look into the mirror. It's important for us to make eye contact in this crystal clear mirror. So we should see who we are when the Rebbe looks at us. Who is this precious child who God created to be? That's what this mimer is all about. Know thyself. Have faith in God because it's who you are. Love your fellow Jew because he or she is who you are. And yearn for Mashiach because you want to be home. You want to be sitting at the table with your father. People, thank you.